Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to episode 84 of Michael and Benjamin's podcast. I am the Michael of Michael and Benjamin's podcast, and I am the one of the two of us who has least recently showered. So, having said that, you can see that I am clearly joined by then the man, the man who had... In Irish, in Irish podcasting, who has most recently had a shower? It's Ben. He's so clean. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm the co-host of Michael and Benjamin's podcast. I'm very clean and I'm joined by a recent stroke victim. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> people have strokes all the time. <laughs> yeah, but they shouldn't do podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So, Ben, you just hit us with the theme music there and then we'll get on with it. Theme music for the podcast. Don't actually have anything music. But I hope someone will mix them up for us. I don't wanna name any names. Rachel, I hope it's Rachel. Very good, excellent. <laughs> Hello, Benjamin. I've recovered from my mild issue there a minute ago, and now I'm ready to talk about comic books and movies and TV shows and whatnot. I was very worried there for half a second. Ben, the most exciting thing I felt that happened during the last week, other than stuff in both of our personal lives, was... What what you doing? I had to fix my leg. Sorry, it was (laughs) twisted. (laughs) Wow, professionalism. Uh, Spider-Man, Ben. Spider-Man, he's far from home. He's nowhere near home anymore. What did you you think about? Um... Yeah, bloody bloody con men over at Marvel there with the far from home stuff. They had you thinking it was a it was a tie into the L Avengers? No, he's what? far from home in that he's not in New York. Did you? I think had I had assumed that he would be in a space in in the space. No, Ben, no, in come on the now. There, there's been promotional pictures and stuff released all along. I know. I, I should have. I, in... I should have known. I should have known. I'm I'm quite uh, quite interested, Michael, because apparently. Go on. According to now, a. Ben, the last time you told me something was apparently it was deeply untrue. Which was that Punisher is set after the snap. Wait, it's supposed to be set after the snap. Well, it isn't. Oh, okay. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, All right, fair <laughs> enough. Well, then you're not going to like this either because yeah, apparently Kevin Feige has confirmed with IGN that it's post snap, and Amy Pascal says it takes takes place minutes after the events of Avengers Endgame. Ooh. Amy Pascal is the head of the Sony end of the. Marvel Sony. I, I nearly got upset at you for telling me who Amy Pascal was, and then I remembered we're doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I know who Amy Pascal is. Amy Pascal is. It's for people that don't know oh, who yeah, Amy well, Pascal is. Round that back in. Um, <laughs> okay, keeping on the podcast. Okay, keep me on my um, own podcast. <laughs> um, what, what was I saying there? Um, yes, Ben. I think it's wildly, widely believed to be post snap, but you know, it looks. It's conceivable that Endgame is going to end up erasing that whole a episode, a timeline or something like that. So who, like, maybe Punisher is set post snap, and <laughs> we no just one, don't know. No one on earth knows. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a tricky one. What were you excited about in the trailer, Michael? Sorry. Ben, I loved that after bloody seventy years or whatever it is, not <laughs> seventy, after however many years or however many years it is, someone used the classic Spider-Man music. Yeah. Non-ironically, giving it a modern twist, and it's in there, and it's great. I have that written right here. I was really impressed with that. I was like, oh, I really enjoyed it that we're actually using an identifiable theme music for one of their superheroes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because it was in, was it in Spider-Man 2, where Mm. a street singer was 
performing yeah, it or something gives like it that. A, gives it widely known as the the best Spider-Man movie sequel to currently exist. It's the that's the first Spider-Man two. Yes, the first Spider-Man two with Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi. Not the second Spider-Man two, which is with Andrew with Garfield and just a mess. Or the upcoming third Spider-Man two, which is potentially going to be okay <laughs> I don't I, I, I'm not it's too much of a mixed bag with regards to sequels and Spider-Man Spider-Man sequels are, are tricky at the best of times that's true and Sony are tricky but I think it's a Marvel movie just being packaged by Sony yeah, so I think I it's going to so. be fine um, I'm, I'm, I think it's a really smart move taking them away from New York um, because one of the major criticisms of the last Spider-Man was that he's, it's just Iron Man 4 with a lad in a spider suit well the thing about the last Spider-Man Ben is it was said in New York, yes, true, but it wasn't said in Manhattan. That's also true. There, we in the in the the Andrew, not Andrew Garfield. What's the new guy called? The little guy, Tom Holland. In the Tom Holland movies, we haven't seen him swing from buildings. Not majorly. Yeah, you're right. I don't think ever, ever. He we ha- he hasn't done a swing through a New York skyline. Oh, he hasn't done a skyline one yet. Yeah, well, he's, he's neighborhood friendly neighborhood. Yeah, Spider-Man. he's yeah, in the low lying borough of Queens. Yeah, I think what I mean more more than that is um, the fact that Tony Stark could always zip in and save the day. Well, I, Tony Stark may well be dead. Uh, that's what I mean. But he may well be dead. But also taking him out of that and putting him in Europe. If we do, if we do fall into the territory. By the way, we are doing Schrodinger spoilers here, which is basically a prediction that may or may not come to pass. So if it does come to pass, don't don't hate us. It you it, it won't have come to pass until it is observed. Until it is observed, which is true of any movie, really, mm. and why most trailer breakdowns are a bit hit and miss mm. here and there. But what I mean by that is, he he often came in. Tony Stark often came in, swooped in, saved the day, and he was always kind of there to handle the big threats. He can't just zip into Europe. Yeah, well, he can. But oh, okay. Aside from that, the, that was thematically important in the first one because mm. it was a, a father-son kind of relationship. Thing, yeah. Whereas this whole point of this one is he's off on his own. He's in your. He's in Europe. Although he now has a new mentor, by the looks of things. Yes, bloody. I, I, it's a bit of a downgrade. Now. How many contracts has Samuel L. Jackson signed with Bloody Marvel? Most successful movie star of all time. Oh my god, he <laughs> just pops up again. Yeah. And you know what? I wasn't tired of him. No. I was just like, yeah, he's great. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I was really happy to see Samuel L. Jackson in. And it was a great entrance. It was perfect. Interesting mini fact, and something that most trailer breakdown videos on YouTube won't have noticed. Go on. The logo on Ned's shirt in the scene where he gets shot in the neck by a dart is the same bear logo used by a bar here in Dublin called Berlin. Is it? Yeah, it's on a big wall at the back of the Berlin bar. What's the situation with why this Spider-Man doesn't seem to have a spider sense, really? I mean, it it kind of depends on the filmmaker because he's had a spider sense before in Avengers Infinity War. His hair raises. But unless, and I know this is getting very deep into spider theory on powers that aren't real. Go on. But unless Nick Fury isn't actually a threat and his spider sense knows that nothing really bad is going to happen. Or Nick Fury is so good at super spying that he didn't even trigger the spider sense. I mean, he's very relaxed. I don't know what causes the spider sense to trigger. Is it elevated heart rates? Is it a stress chemical that's released from other people that causes it to trigger... I don't don't know how spider sense works. Musk. A musk, if you will. Panic musk. Pusk. Speaking oh, of oh, Musk oh, from other people, uh, one of your favourite actors, Jake Gyllenhaal, is, oh, is in the trailer. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a man, ben, man. Yeah. D- look, this is going to go deep into Schrodinger's spoilers now. Mm. 
um, because it's Mysterio Ben. Yeah, it is. And in the trailer, he's the good egg. Well, that's very in line with Mysterio in the comic books because that's yes. how we're introduced to Mysterio initially. Um, his name is, I have it here. Quentin so, Beck. Quentin, thank you very much, Quentin Beck. He's only a bloody special effects guru. Do you think, Ben, Yes. that the four monsters, the water one, the molten one, the earth one and the lightning one, have been created by him? Oh, they're definitely a thing that he's built. So he's built, he's set up the whole thing to make himself look like a hero. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely. almost certainly what's going on. Um, that's also why I'm kind of against, a lot of people are saying that it's Hydro Man and Sandman. Mm. And, and I don't think so. Sandman's a pretty big Spider-Man villain. I don't think they just love him in. Uh, ben, I have one word for you. <laughs> Mandarin. Oh, fair point. Did you know Mandarin has a mini... Sorry, this is completely off topic. Do you know there's a mini video of the Mandarin in prison? Yes, it's called All Hell the King. Yeah, yeah. I saw it only the other day for yes, the first time ever. It's quite good. Yeah, it's it, has amazing. A, it has Justin Hammer in it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. I thought you were going to say, did you know that Mandarin is a mini, kind of a form of orange? <laughs> <laughs> did you know that Mandarins are a type of citrus fruit? I didn't know that, yeah. Madness. Um, but yeah, I, that's why I'm kind of against these interpretations that it, it could be Sandman. It could be Hydra Man. I nah, think they're not. big amorphous things. They have humanoid forms. I don't think you're going to get a lot of characterization out of them. No, I don't think so. I think they're going to be they're going to be creations of Mysterio. Yeah, they're a it's, big a, it's, it's an interesting thing to make Mysterio uh, such a, an important character. I love the costume. The costume is great, and I think what's more interesting is. They know Gyllenhaal is a, a moneymaker. They were like, uh, we could put the fishbowl on his head, but no. <laughs> well, he Introduce him with that sweet, yeah. sweet jawline. Well, that's, <laughs> that's classic Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> we're not paying these actors to stay behind helmets. Um, did you think that when, when, he, when he shows up in his costume and the guy who's watching him on TV says he's part Iron Man, part Thor. Thor clicking. I now think that... Iron Man being a huge success, huge success, very important. Mm -hmm. But Thor clicking with fans is what made the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because every nonsense thing that happens in the MCU is justified by basically saying to the fans, look, you're all right with Thor. That's that's straight out of the Ultimates playbook, though. Yeah, They used to do that all the time in the Ultimates comic, where it's like, there's a Norse god of thunder on our team. And it, it was always kind of a joke where Black Widow would be like, oh, he's so delusional. And other people would be like, and then some people would support this and be like, yeah, it's definitely a Norse god. So it's straight out of the playbook. But I think you're definitely right. I think Ragnarok was the last major cementing thing for Thor's character. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be as successful without Ragnarok and the characterization he was given there. But that's not really what I mean. I mean that they got away with... Oh. <laughs> yeah. They got away with Thor 1. Yeah. And then... Look at all the other kind of silly designs. Vision. Vision, Vision looks like what he looks silly. like. But Vision looked at Thor and copied him. Yeah, with the cape, with I guess. With the cape. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then Mysterio is like, oh, he looks like Thor and Iron, which he does. Uh, yeah, I, I would have said Thor and Doctor Strange. But then I remember going, nobody knows about Doctor Strange. He's not as widely. Mm. It, he's a secret kind of secret, sanct- literally a secret sanctum guy. Secret Santa. Secret Santa. Um, ben, that's enough about Spider-Man, I think. Yeah, probably. Uh, also, there's the black suit. The black suit seems to be making an odd yeah. cameo symbiote-free because Although, Sony ain't giving up those sweet, sweet rides, baby. It doesn't look like it's going to be Spider-Man noir or any sort of... It's just a stealth thing that mm. Nick Fury gives Nick him. Nick Fury gives him now a stealth suit. Yeah, yeah, grand. Yeah. Perfect. 
Grant. Ben, other things that were that we saw this week. Uh, bloody trailer for John Wick 3, Revenge of the Doggos. <laughs> nice try. Parabellum oh, is what it it's called. Revenge Parabellum, by the way, for anyone that doesn't understand the significance of Parabellum. Not you, Mick. Not me. I, not you. I, I know understand you understand things. things. I know you understand things. Uh, Parabellum means uh, ready for war or get ready for war in Latin. It's a phrase used to prepare for war. Because, Ben, you'll remember at the end of John Wick 2, he was disavowed or whatever the hell word they use yeah they've they've kind of excommunicated he's he's excommunicated from the assassin community Uh, everyone's assassins yeah everyone's assassins everyone's they've repackaged the ending of number two and uh ian mcshane's character gave him a much longer grace period to kind of set his life up and stuff like that or to, to get ready for the new thing and one of my favorite lines in it is where ian mcshane goes every single assassin in new york and john wick Say the odds are 50 50. <laughs> it's very and good. I was, I've, look, John Wick is are by no means groundbreaking philosophical treatises in what it is to be an assassin. They're great bloody movies, yeah, though. They're, the head. they're well choreographed. It's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I love Keanu Reeves. That pit bull is very cool that follows yeah. him around. Halle Berry's in this Halle one. Halle Berry's in. I was sitting there, Ben, watching it going, there's going to be a sexy lady any minute now. Yeah, and then yeah. Halle Berry with a German Shepherd, which is two, a combination. Two German Shepherds. <laughs> two German Shepherds, yeah. excuse me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, I didn't know you needed that, did you, Ben? Yeah, I didn't know I needed that at all. But you can uh, stick you that go. on your FetLife profile. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and now if I ever see a movie with Halle Berry and no doggos from now on, I'll just leave. Yeah, it'd be no use. Um, what, Ben, what about Ghostbusters? Yeah, bloody Ghostbusters, Michael. They're going again. They're not learning. They're, I don't think there's going to be any women's in this one. This is Ghostbusters 3. This is Ghostbusters 3, the official... Ghostbusters 3. But Bill Murray's dead. Bill Murray's not dead. Who's dead? Um, Harold Ramis is dead. Yeah, that's who I'm um, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray and Carl... Is it Carl Weathers? Oh, Jesus, Ben. Not, <laughs> Early odds. Early <laughs> oh, fucking hell, Ben. <laughs> I, <to> oh, <laughs> I went for one of the famous 80s black movie stars. Uh-oh. I, I picked wrong. Um, Ernie Hudson. I don't know if Ernie Hudson's going to come back. He's such a poorly written character in Ghostbusters well, 1 and he, 2. Well, he, he did a cameo in, in The Lady One. Yeah, he's the only one who was willing to do a cameo in The Lady well, Bill One. Bill Murray though. was in it too. Oh, he was in it for half a second. Yeah, you're right. No, Bill Murray had a little role. He was oh, the guy he? who came to report a ghost or something. Oh, yeah. Died, okay. Well, this looks to be Ghostbusters 3. Um, it's a very brief teaser that doesn't give a lot away. A lot of green lighting leading up to leading up to a barn. Then underneath a, a sheath, a car sheath, is uh, the back of the old Ghostmobile. Ecto-1. Ecto-1, is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, good man. Um, but yeah, are you excited for this? Do you think it's... Well, look... I are you think, asking me now or are you asking the, the listeners? Uh, a bit of both, but I think I was going to say it's just another cash grab, but that's all That's all our movie going is these is, days. That's all it, it is. We've just run out of creativity and we're just going to ah, recycle everything into now. the dirt. No, come on. Into the dirt. Uh, Bumblebee was essentially the Iron Giant. Oh no, that's, that's supporting your point. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was pretty original. Uh, yeah. Come on now, it was. Yeah, okay. It was. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah I right. mean, But it's based on comics. Everything's based on comics these days in the cinema. But yeah, but look, but look, but listen. Who cares where the stories or characters come from as long as the movies are good? Yeah, as long as we get to see good stuff. All right, Michael. That's that's John Wick. John Wick's well, the first John Wick was pretty original, but I mean, we've we've since strayed into trope territory and. But I mean, but that's okay. John Wick One could have been a Punisher movie. Yeah. 
Oh, he would have been a great Punisher. Oh, Mick, in another life, eh? I'm telling you. Schrodinger's Punisher. Schrodinger's Punisher. <laughs> um, that would make a great episode name of anything in our episode had anything yeah, to do with the Punisher. Good. Speaking of the Punisher, Michael. Yes. You've been watching you've been watching television. I have been. I have what have been what have I been watching? Punisher season two. Punisher. Season two. But Ben, she hasn't even been naughty. Oh. <laughs> you can deal with that check one. Out, check <laughs> out check out Ben's profile on FetLife. Um, <laughs> That's going to be a running joke now. Isn't Irish great? Punisher is his uh, <laughs> FetLife profile. Uh, it used to be Irisher, but then I discovered my kinky side. Yeah. So, what are we talking about? Yeah, Punisher, Ben, season two is out. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, though, Ben. It really is quite good. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I have alcohol and watch it now. I didn't realize it was even out. It does work like I'm Punisher. I had to get involved. Uh, but, uh, what was I supposed to do? Sit there? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. I like that, though. I love... Again, it's the same logic as John Wick, where it's just like, this is not going to, you know, it's not going to tax your brain. Um, so I've seen four episodes, Ben, because I made a New Year's... A, a New Year's Lent... What? What's it called? Lent when you do something? Just uh, giving something up for Lent. You, yeah, you give it up for Lent. So, you, uh, you, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't matter, Ben. Abstain. Yeah, you uh, abstain from So something. I have abstained from binge-watching entire Marvel Netflix series because there are probably only going to be two left. Yeah. Punisher Season 2 and Jessica Jones Season 3. If? <laughs> if? I, I think Jessica Jones Season 3 is made. So, Ben, I have only seen the first four episodes. Yes. And... The first three episodes in particular were really quite good. Oh, excellent. They were like a slightly slow-paced action film. Oh, cool. The first three together. Mm. It, it seems like you're going to have, it's going to go back to the Daredevil season two approach of having mini arcs. Nice. And yeah, it was really quite enjoyable. There's a suitably sinister villain. Um, there's very good action. Yay. Uh, people say, a little spoiler, but people say stupid things to Punisher before he beats them up. And that always makes That's, me feel good. That, that always makes me feel good, too. Um, the, the I mean, is there character development? Not really. A, a little bit. In a kind of regressive sort of way. You don't need it. He was a massive hit. And the kind of people that are into the Punisher are going to support the Punisher no matter. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain aspect of it being gun porn. Yeah, I think a lot of it is gun porn. Um, uh, Jerry Conway had an interesting... Sorry, the creator of The Punisher had an interesting thing to say about police officers using the emblem the other day. Oh, we talked about that. Yeah, we more did. More than That's, a year ago. Yeah, maybe. yeah, more than a year ago, but he, he condemns it. He thinks it's ridiculous. Does he? Um, I can't remember what the exact comparison that he draws, um, but he says police officers using the, the emblem is like... I can't even remember. I'll look it up. But is it like bloody that very famous Mitchell and Webb sketch where the two Nazis are in a trench? Are and we one the of bank? The, are we the bad guys? <laughs> no. We've got skulls. <laughs> it's amazing. Is it, it's kind of like that, isn't it's it? It's one of the best. It's one of the best sketches ever. Mitchell and Webb, for anyone listening outside of the UK and Ireland, um, is a comedy duo here in uh, the UK and Ireland. Great, great <laughs> podcasting there, Ben. <laughs> But they just do funny skits based on all kinds of things. They're two very nerdy, dweeby guys. They don't do just funny skits, Ben. They also have a very good television show and a slightly poorer television show. Um, But Ben, look, I am enjoying Punisher. Episode four was back to what I didn't like about the Punisher. 
which was a bit disappointing. Oh. But I have also read other people's reviews and some people preferred episode four. Oh. Episode four, I'll tell you now, it's not a big spoiler. but It, it, it won't break my heart if it is. No, it won't. It, it goes back to a kind of in New York waiting around for bureaucracy and you know eventually oh. Punisher's just going to go and go off and kill everyone. <gasps> but yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. One of the things I don't like about it though, Ben, is its refusal to, and you could say this about a lot of the Netflix stuff, to be honest, <clears throat> its refusal to embrace its comic book history as much as the MCU movies that it is allegedly yeah. shares the universe with there's very little fan service well it's not even fan service ben it's just we talked about this last week but ben barnes is jigsaw yeah he's very handsome still if anything he's more handsome yeah he's kind of got a bit of edge to him now yeah he's got mm. a couple of sexy scars and yeah, he's got yeah. a cropped haircut and stuff he just looks, yeah he just looks like a male model that you would hire these days yeah he, yeah. Looks, he looks like he, he could appear on like a reddit list of the sexiest mugshots. yeah i think there's probably a subreddit for that i think there is but yeah almost I mean, definitely just and in in the movie punisher warzone ben mm. we did have a kind of psychotic Mal malfigured, disfor disfigured, disfigured. <laughs> we did have a psychotic disfigured. I like um, that you actually went through the etymology of what it could possibly <laughs> be. You were like, "What suffixes do we use to describe something that's ugly and deformed, bad?" <laughs> prefixes. Oh, prefix. Uh, oh my goodness, that's oh. fine. Don't worry about it. Look, um, we we had a, a disfigured lunatic uh, jigsaw with was Dominic it, West. Was it Dominic West. It was Dominic, Dominic West. West. And. Uh, <laughs> Just look at crossbones. It works. From, it works. They can get away this with it in the universe nothing. they've established. But the, the Netflix side seems to refuse to engage. They need that sexy CW edge. I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's the, the success of what people liked. What non-comic fans liked about Daredevil Season 1 was how mm. grounded it was. And they've taken the wrong message from that. Yeah. And let's, they, let's not push it to a crazy length. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you look, season two is pretty good so far. I'm really enjoying it. Excellent. Okay. I'm, I'm going to limit myself to two episodes a day so as to savor. To say, Stop that. Savor the experience. Stop that. There's people listening at home enjoying their bloody Monday. Yeah. Oh, Michael. I apologize for Michael. This is not turning into a mm. Mouth Sounds ASMR mm, yeah. podcast. We're not doing it. Yeah. Uh, Fet Life. Uh, <laughs> Irish Mouth Sounds. <laughs> In case anyone is wondering, we are not sponsored by FetLife. I know it sounds like this we week's are. episode is sponsored by FetLife. Mind you, at this point, if FetLife would like to sponsor the podcast, do you want to, Ben? Do you want? Shall we go down the route of explaining why this is funny? I mean, yeah, why not? Go on, you might as well. So a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, here at the podcast, That's and a couple true. of weeks ago, we posted a video to one of the many subreddits that exist. I can't remember the exact one. I don't remember. But someone got in touch with us and asked if we could possibly format the podcast so that it would go up on Alexa or um, or other platforms, other that unusual person, platforms. That person may well be listening. That person may well be listening. If that person is listening, my response <laughs> was shocking. <laughs> I should point out that I respond to these things either in the morning on the way to work or in the, so in the evening on the way home. And Mick is going to do a dramatic so, rendition of 
how I replied to this request. So, right, anyway, here, I'll read the last line of the of the initial question. It said, thanks, I look forward to listening to more, which is a lovely thing which to hear, Which is a ben. lovely thing to hear. A lovely thing. And then Michael and Benjamin's podcast, <laughs> I should point out, Ben said, <laughs> and what's the creepiest way I can say this? Hey. <laughs> hey. Thanks so much, baby girl sub. <laughs> we will definitely look into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... Then he presumably realised he'd signed into Reddit rather than his FetLife profile. <laughs> but it was too late to delete the comment. Oh, so to that listener, if you ever listen to us again and weren't horrifically scarred, I am so sorry. Yeah. Unless um, you're into it, unless, in which case. <laughs> in which case, uh, send me a DM. Um, but overall, I really apologise. If you or anyone you know has been unknowingly sexually harassed by Michael, by the Benjamin of Michael and Benjamin's podcast, I swear to God, it's not me. Okay, let's really move on. Uh, yeah. um, we were speaking about Netflix there, uh, Michael. So you're going to keep watching the old Netflix. I will, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to the 25th of, of January in Netflix, Michael. Why, Ben? Uh, because there's a movie coming out with Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, Doctor Strange. Nope. Um, that was a nice reference to a, a controversy a couple of years ago. Well done. Why? Because people wanted to know if Mads Mikkelsen was going to play Doctor Strange, if he was going to play the villain. They kind of wanted oh, to they? play Doctor Strange. Yeah. Oh. Thought you were being very clever. So. No, no, no. He's just in it. Um, what film? Uh, it's Polar. <laughs> Uh, well, now, we should explain. We're, we're not just throwing a Spanish accent on that from fun. Um, Polar is... Po- uh, Polar. <laughs> Polar. I'm going to say it properly so people don't get too confused. Polar is a movie coming out on Netflix starring Vanessa Hudgens and Mads Mikkelsen. Primarily Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, it's based on a bloody comic book. Go on. Uh, by a man called Victor Santos, who is from Spain. He's from Spain. So it's the film Spain. is definitely got Polar. So it's definitely Polar. <laughs> um, and it, it centers around a, a bloody retired assassin called the Black Kaiser. You're thinking of the film Red... No, I'm not. No, no, no. no. You were thinking of the film John Wick. No, 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 no. You were thinking of the film Assassins with uh, Sylvester Stallone and no. Sharon Stone, where they have definitely not. Shower. Definitely not. <laughs> right, go on then. Um, I am thinking of the small, independently produced comic book that's known as Polar. It's written by Victor Santos, and he's an incredibly talented visual storyteller. Go on. He does an L. He, he loves an L sparse layout. Um, loves an L minimal dialogue kind of thing, and really relies on image and uh, movement, line quality, etc., to tell his story in the most effective way possible. I'm very excited to see it, Michael. It's a very, very good comic book. Think Sin City on an excellent day. Right. Uh, so it uses a very limited color palette. It has kind of a, a blood orange, black and white. And uh, Are you saying blood orange the fruit? No, no. Blood orange the color is in a reddish orange. Okay. Hue. I think that's a fruit. It, it probably is. Blood orange. Oh, there's a cat outside the door. Open the door there. So okay, we see if the cat wants to come in. Yeah. Okay, hang on. We'll be back in a second. Let's see who it is. Wanna, we just want to play with cats. Who is it? It's Taylor. Hey, Taylor. Do you want to come in? Taylor going to come in? Cat in the pod? Nope. Don't think so. <laughs> never wants to come in. She wants the attention. Yeah. Never wants to come in. Uh, blood, yeah, blood orange palette. Yeah. Uh, FetLife is plagued with you. just like, Taylor. <laughs> People who want the attention but don't want to come in. Um, but anyway, um, it looks very interesting. It's it's a really cool comic. He First of all, it's landscape. 
the majority of comics that we we Landscape. read are are portraits, like a bloody annual calendar. Yeah, like an annual calendar. Oh, I don't like so that. So he uses these long, wide panels. Well, Michael, you're a, you're a Declan Shelby fan. I am. You? Yeah, he's you're a, a Brian he Hitch a, fan. Declan Shelby did a Moon Knight. Yes, and you're a Brian Hitch fan. There's the Absolute Authority collected hardcover there, Ben. Absolutely. You can see it. You enjoy a widescreen cinematic comic, do you? Yeah, not? but not literally well, widescreen. This is a logical conclusion to that theory. So okay, go on. Uh, how about how about you just step <laughs> off Victor Santos and Polar? Hmm? Oh, um, no, I'm kidding. Um, it is a fantastic look at just it, it's a gritty Liam Neeson John Wick style revenge thriller. He's a retired assassin. The company starts to clean house that he used to work for. He's top of the list, but he's the world's greatest assassin. He only goes and bloody sorts them out. Like. Now, Ben, I'm gonna turn this around on you a little bit. Ooh. If you remember last week, we looked at Irish independent comic Neon Skies. We did. And what you didn't like it about one of the things you didn't like about it was it's very. Um, not derivative, but it's very commonplace plot. Yes. But now you're lauding this. Ah. Despite the fact that it's John Wick and Taken and Red and... Well, I suppose my... Justify yourself. I suppose my argument for that is... Uh, the tropes in Neon Skies are... No, don't attack Neon Skies no, no, anymore. No. Talk about... Okay, sorry. About uh, what I would say about this is it's a far more grounded story and he does something very important um, that other comics may not do. His characters have very grounded personalities before he starts. He establishes right. their personalities quite well and uses those to push the visual storytelling throughout. The characterization is what saves generic storylines if it's done well, in my opinion. Like in a Ryan Gosling film. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sure, Ryan Gosling is amazing, and you know he is, and you just wish you were him, and you can't, you can't be him. Okay. I don't wish I was. Ryan we all, Gosling. we all want to be Ryan Gosling. Don't I, lie. I, no, look, I wouldn't mind being a Hugh Jackman. No, 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 no. Interest. A huge Jackman is Ryan Gosling. He's no, Ryan, a huge jacked man. I'm pretty sure Ryan Gosling is pretty short, and as you know, Ben, I am not into that. Look, it, there's two kinds of people in the world, Michael. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> people who want to be Ryan Gosling, and there's people who want to be lifted by Ryan Gosling in Crazy Stupid Love, ah. where he mimics the scene no, from Dirty Dancing. So there are three types of people in the love in the world. In the love, people who want to be Ryan Gosling, people who want to be with Ryan Gosling, and then Ryan Gosling. Well, I mean, that's the ideal threesome right there. Oh, Jesus. If you or anyone you know is no, interested please. in a threesome, check out the Talk about the, Talk about Polar. <laughs> I've accidentally kicked you there under the table. Polar there was no Polar. accident. You were just like, quiet. Stop that. Um, look, it's a great comic from someone who... Why is it called Polar? Uh, because he begins the story in the pole, one of the poles. Oh, okay. Um, he's retired in a cabin in the woods. Now, Ben, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Yeah, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. Yes. But I have to say that Beyonce has one of the best comic books of all time. Beyonce is one of the best no. comic books of all time. <laughs> um, what I want to say here is, you keep saying this visual storytelling as if it helps me understand why it might be a good comic. Well, fair enough. Right, go on. Uh, Michael, this week we've chosen to talk about <laughs> visual storytelling in comics. So, comics is a, an old enough medium at this point. We've right, had, we've had a lot of trials and errors. We've had a lot of wins. We've had a lot of losses when it comes to comic books. Um, artists generally come in a couple of different schools. One of one of the really lauded qualities of an artist is speed. So right. very very often, if an artist can churn out vast amounts of work on time, a comic book company will push them massively. I talk, of course, of a Steve Dillon, right. um, a Steve Dillon, a Chris Leefield who just spits them out, and Go on. they're not good. In <laughs> Leefield's case. Uh, who else is who else is like that some of the X-Men artists from the 90s were probably like that Leafield is coming back to X-Men oh yeah he has a new 
character called Ma- Major X, X Major, something like that. He looks good. ridiculous. I'll show it to you after. Uh, very interesting. Are you talking about Rob Liefeld? Liefeld? Yeah, Liefeld. You said Chris. Oh, who's Chris Liefeld? I don't know. It's a guy you know from Fed Life. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I have no idea who that is. But uh, generally they're lauded for this quality. They're lauded if they can do big slash pages. They're lauded if their coloring is excellent. One, one of the things that gets overlooked massively, I think, is the ability to tell a good, fluid story, a story that moves at its own pace through visuals alone. Right. Um we have a good example of how not to do it sitting in front of us there on the on the desk, <laughs> Michael. Michael, two weeks ago, you, you put up a, a Comic Weekly Roundup, as you are wont to do. Yeah. You are wont to do an excellent Comic Weekly Roundup. I sometimes, quite enjoy it. Sometimes I do it in a rush, to be honest. I quite often have a read of them um, after you've recommended them. But one you picked up, Michael, is, is GoBots number two. Well, Ben, first of all... Published by IDW, why, right? First yes, of all, go ahead. I, first of all, I like IDW. I like the kind of plucky fourth or fifth biggest comic publishers doing well for themselves. Hmm. You see, I have all of their Transformers, well, half of their Transformers comics. Sure. Also, Ben, if you'll take a look to your left here, you'll notice a shelf, which is, I can't think of a good word for stuffed. Uh, stuffed. Brimming. Brimming to the brim with GoBots. GoBots galore. GoBots, all the GoBots. In fact, Ben, you'll even notice, for example, if we open the random page here, uh, there's Turbo. And Turbo is... Where's bloody Turbo? He's in there somewhere. It's one of the red ones. Yeah, it's one of the red ones. There's Scooter. That's that guy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Leader One. Um, he's on the, of course, Leader One. Leader One. There's Leader One there. You'll notice him. There he is. There's Psykill. So... Psykill. Yeah, I am... An, ben, I am unironically a GoBots fan. I like the GoBots. Uh, which came first, Transformers or GoBots? GoBots. Oh. Yeah, there's a I thing. I think we covered you. that before, didn't we? We might have. We covered that before. Um... GoBots are great toys. I'm particularly a fan of the GoBots toys, to be honest. Not really the fiction. But, Ben, I didn't like that comic because... And I'm going to channel my inner Ben here. Excellent. And give an, uh, uh, a kind of real in-depth technical reason for why I didn't like it. Good. It was a bag of Mickeys. It was a bag of Mickeys. That yeah. that does sound exactly like me. Um, so, in this... Not the coveted Mickey Awards, by no, the way. Oh, yeah. A bag, of, a, bag of, a bag of bad Mickeys. <laughs> Bix, if you will. Bickies. Just a bag a, of bickies is good. A bag of bickies. It's a bag of bickies. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's not very good, Michael. No, it's terrible. It, it's it's written and drawn by Tom Scioli. Now, we do have to preface something. I was, prior to this podcast, bashing this comic because I just thought it was very poor. Michael and I have praised Tom Scioli before. Yeah. Uh, you may recall, if you're a long-time fan of the podcast, we once talked about Freedom Force. Let's say long-time listener rather than long-time fan. I think most of the people who listen uh, for a long time have it in for us. Yeah, they probably don't <laughs> like us anymore. That's that's fair, especially if you got a comment from me on Reddit at some point. Yeah. Um, but listen, baby subgirl, um, <laughs> Tom Scioli did Freedom Force. He's kind of... Famous for a run he did with Image Comics called Godland. Yeah, basically, um, Ben, what he is, is he's the world's foremost Jack Kirby impersonator. And that's that's what he is. And we liked that yeah. at one point. But now we seem to have found a comic where he was allowed to write mm-hmm. and draw. Yeah. He shouldn't have been allowed to do that. Ben, this is one of the few comics I have ever read that I found it hard to finish. It took me three sittings to read a 22-page comic. The, the man doesn't understand how dialogue works. Um... He seems to be experimenting quite heavily with, with panel layout. And I love an experimental panel layout. But but what he's doing is, he's not 
what you're supposed to do with a panel layout, if you take a traditional six panel layout or nine panel layout, and then you want to experiment with that form, you choose the moment of, of most significant action to portray. All right. I didn't, that's, know, didn't know the art police were here. But that's not my logic. That's the logic of Scott McLeod, uh, who wrote Understanding Comics. It's the logic of Declan Shelby, who you're quite a fan of. It's the logic of David Aja. Aha. Aya? Aya. I think it's Aha or Aya. I'm not sure. Aha is who you're also from, a fan from of. The, from the 90s. These men 90s. enjoy patterns in block. Or women. And then, or, or women. Or Sarah Pacelli, if you will. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I I like Ben. The I will talk about who who we like later. We're gonna get but what this man seems to do is he kind of takes whatever he likes and mashes them all together in a panel. I think Ben that you are misinterpreting this. I think that this comic is an experiment. I think this this comic is an art piece, and it's an art piece of a comic mm. that the actual content and story aren't that big a deal so why would you publish it because it's an experiment it's a it's something different it even the the way it's printed the paper it's printed on the Mm. the kind of washed out colors and stuff i think the whole thing is a kind of maybe i'm completely wrong though maybe it's just a lot of shock tremendous (laughs) bag of bookies (laughs) Um, <laughs> even the cover like just just look at the cover I go know. I'm assuming that's a GoBots catchphrase or something which is a terrible catchphrase but um, look uh, let's get into okay, some of the ones we into, love because it, that's that's what sparked this for me I was thinking about it and I was reading Polar and Polar is very good at moving things through so before we begin <clears throat> someone has done this much better than us uh, a guy called Scott McLeod who I just mentioned he wrote uh-huh. in 1993 Understanding comics, which is a manual on how comic books as an art form separate themselves from normal literature or filmmaking or something like that. Um, and he kind of had some some key factors for what makes a, a good visual storyteller. Right. Uh, the factors are, are kind of as follows. I'm just going to turn the page of my notebook the there because I, I wrote them all down. Some of the key characteristics of, of a good visual storyteller are someone who's very, uh, it's, it's misleadingly simple art. Oh, okay. um, so you look at it and you go I could draw that and then you get a few pages or panels in you go oh I, I couldn't do I that, draw that I couldn't be that consistent and that thing I could draw that uh, you possibly could draw that it's a square and a couple of ovals slapped together um, you possibly could draw that no problem you're not a bad artist Mick don't, don't be too hard. I, I seem to recall an avocado making an appearance once the upon devil's a time. avocado he was um, great yeah uh, one of the key things I would look at there is, is David Ah again and his Hawkeye run um, he loves loves a nine panel layout and all the characters must be simply drawn to fit into that many panels um, there's nothing groundbreaking in how he draws them very simple they're very simple but that simplicity allows him to focus on some other important things mainly movement um, geometric construction throughout the thing uh, and centering in frame or breaking that pattern to make more interesting contrasts uh, so they're misleadingly simple Fet life. Fet life. Ah, purple boxers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is one of my kinks. Um, so another thing is unusual panel layout. Um, you can see it here. You will very often move through a scene using wide panels. Then use significant focus on one action when it's the most important thing. It's an interesting to see, thing to see done. David Aha does it in a particularly excellent way. I'm going to stick with Aha. Because uh, I like that song. Me, take. Knowing you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was going to go with Take On Me. 
So unusual panel layout is good. As I mentioned before, character-driven is very important. Usually if someone's going to, to focus on something with sparse dialogue and minimal layouts, you have to have a well-established character before you can even think of using a simplistic, uh, of using a simplistic storytelling site. We're trying to get a mountain of comic <laughs> books down here. It's absolute gold. Mick is going to look through some of his stuff for examples of what I'm saying, I think, is what's happening here. Um, most importantly throughout this, a lot of these people stick very closely to the principles of animation and storyboarding. Right. Uh, they understand that not every single action has to be illustrated. Right. What you do is you choose the key moment of momentum or movement and you illustrate it bit by bit. So we, in, instead of going, for example, if I was to watch you do a somersault, Michael, which I've never seen you do. But I can. But I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. Perhaps there would be six significant movements that the human eye could make out when you did that. That okay? is an interesting theory. But what you need to do in a comic is do it in three. So we would look at the part where you prep to jump. We would look at the part where you spun in the air and we would look at your landing. That would be a more effective way to show that in a comic book than going through all six movements. Do you understand? Of course I understand. Animators under... It's for... <laughs> I need a bit of interaction. He's just here reading... Oh, sorry, gotten, I'm just reading He's comic gotten books. confused by just... Catwoman in a suit. No, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this specifically because I think this is a good modern example. Which Absolutely. I'm going to show you in a few minutes. Absolutely. Um, but to keep going on that... Um, another thing that they do is they follow the principles of cinematography. So there's a lot of blocking. There's a lot of composition put into each shot. Um, a good example, again, someone we love is... Oh, you just flick through him there. Hellboy. Hellboy's oh. a great example. Every single panel in a Hellboy comic is, is very finely composed. It follows certain rules. Um, blocking is important. You can follow eye lines through the page. It's basically an artist's way. If an artist is good enough, they can lead you through a page without you ever realizing what they're doing. Very good. That's why when we notice a, a bad comic book artist, it's because we're so irritated that it's such an effort to get through. Which is exactly how I felt about that. Yeah, which is why we never think. So it would come down to rhythms. I've, I've come up with six examples on my end, Michael, of, of people that I, I think would be quite... Not sex examples, Michael. No, I didn't say that. Go on. But anyway, Declan Shelby is obviously number one. Um, obviously, no. Hold on a minute. Because uh, he's Irish. We've oh, got to support good. the okay, Irish creators, Michael. Uh, our boys, our boys, our boys. Um, David Aha is there on the list. Chris Samney, who Never did the Daredevil him. run with Mark Wade. He's also a big Batman illustrator. David Mazzuchelli, who did the Daredevil run that we talked about last week with Frank Miller and Denny O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And then a guy called Trad Moore from Image Comics. He did the Legacy of Luther Strode. Do you remember that one? No. Nope. And then, of course, someone who we talked about on the podcast a million times, bloody Jack Kirby. Old Jack. Good old Jack. Ben, was it Declan Shalvey who did the famous corridor fight or the warehouse fight in Moon Knight? Yes, absolutely. Um, he is a, a huge fan of horizontal panels. So I have a bit of breakdown on each one. Since since you led me straight into Declan Shalvey, let me give you an example of why Declan Shalvey does some, some bloody great stuff. Right, go on. Um, Declan Shalvey, first of all, is probably most famous or most noted for his work on Moon Knight. He's currently working on a Wolverine, Wolverine comic. Yeah. Uh, he's Wolverine currently doing a Wolverine. He's being put up to the... He's been put on the big characters. He's been up in the big leagues. Um, but he loves horizontal panels. Long horizontal panels that break up throughout the page. So he'll he'll put them down. And then he loves central framing in those big horizontal panels. He said himself, um, listen to him in interviews, it's almost like there's an invisible line that goes down the center of his panel structure. Right, he could just draw one. And the key moments, I'm sure he probably does. Erase it later. But he said he didn't realize this until he went through all his work 
he was teaching here in Dublin. He was teaching a composition and storytelling workshop here in Dublin. And he said he had to go over his old work to try and figure out what people liked so much about it. Yeah. And he came across this unusual format where he does these things. He quite often puts a strong line composition. So, for example, sometimes he'll put it in the top right-hand corner, left-hand corner, if you're in the room with me here. Yeah. And bring it down to the, the bottom right-hand corner It's in a diagonal. And he will allow key points to follow on that. What I mean when I say key points is the character's head will stay along that line. Oh. thing, and it creates a nice rhythm that you easily follow That's um, in conversation in cinema um, stuff like that is, is to do with eyeline so if a character's eyeline stays at one point in the frame you don't move it you can change the angle you can look at their head from the right side or the left side but their eyeline doesn't change and if it you creates remember rhythm. then we did a little skit uh, more than a year ago when Thor Ragnarok came out yes and something that bothers me about that skit is my eyeline is off when you enter the room See? Because I was looking up slightly See? Uh, Because I was thinking of the Hulk See But then you came in And you're not Hulk sized By any stretch By any stretch So my eyeline is off and by any, Thank mad. you for reminding people That I'm a small person I, don't, I just uh, I mean I'm not Hulk sized Ben By any stretch Oh come on Very few people are My friend George One of us here is closer To Hulk sized than the other I think yes, we all know who it is It's Taylor the cat Lovely little cat If anyone is struggling To figure out uh, what I mean in terms of comic books, you can also look at a really great cartoon called Samurai Jack. By Samurai guy, Jack's great. I love Samurai Jack. Uh, yeah, by a guy called Gendy Taratovsky. That is a masterclass, generally speaking, in visual storytelling. Very often uh, pushes the dialogue. He only uses dialogue at the start of the series, uh, or at the start of an episode and the end of an episode, and very often lets them run for a very long time yeah, without so any sound so at all. Some episodes are almost completely silent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and probably more importantly than that, it backs up my point about very strong characterization. At no point in any of the Samurai Jack uh, episodes do you ever question the type of person Samurai Jack is. An honorable Samurai. You understand what his action will be. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to operate without dialogue. Dialogue is very often used as exposition. Go on. To show a moral issue or something like that. But if you have a good artist who understands how to draw expression and movement and body language, you don't actually need dialogue to show someone's inner state. What do you think... That this type of visual storytelling, as you're calling it, yes. is aided when the writer is the artist. I think, uh, far be it for me to, to disparage any kind of writer-artist uh, relationship, I think it's more important that the writer understands that artist's style. Or, more importantly, that artist has a good cinematic knowledge or a good visual has good visual reasoning. They understand how sight works, I suppose. Because you often see these days comic book scripts Mm. and it will say something like Batman fights the thugs, Mm. do whatever. Yeah. And then the artist is the one who has to come up with all that. Visualize the fight with the thugs. We are interesting living, we are interestingly, and I've mentioned this a couple of times in the podcast, living in the age of the writer in terms of comic books mm-hmm. I often find that very strange because I think without artists it's just kind of stories with parts missing if right. if you follow this rule of and I'm going to let you figure out the fight scene mm-hmm. then what are you doing you're blocking it out but the art but but surely that's a collaborative thing surely that's trusting but it, the it depends for example Saga is a comic we both love I don't think Saga would be anywhere near as uh, popular without the artist. Well, it would be just a script. 
No, no, but if it was a di- <laughs> if it was a different artist, I mean, her style is very unique to that storytelling. But I think the creators there mm-hmm. have a very strong relationship. Fiona Staples is a phenomenal artist, right? Um, and I think her relationship with uh, oh, I'm going to forget his name. Why the last man? Brian, Brian K. Vaughan, thank you. Um, I think they understand each other very well. Um, but for example, all the captions, lettering, and stuff is done by. Fiona Staples. Hmm. She does the lion's share of the work. Now, it's it, she may not be able to come up with ideas like that, but she certainly comes up with character designs. I'd say Brian K. Vaughan goes, uh, television head. Television head, but he's a robot. Yeah. But and he's on FetLife. It's, uh, <laughs> Presumably. Um, but, for example, we've had this argument many times when it comes to Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Yes. Stan Lee would very often be like, ah, he's a superhero with, uh, he's blind. And And then... He's got legs. Yeah, and then it was Jack's turn to do everything else. Yeah. Mm. What? But I think think there's a a perfect example of of people who are very fluid. For example, Hellboy is written and drawn almost exclusively by Mike Mignola. Duncan uh, Fregato, who is uh, a very good friend of Mike Mignola's, took over the drawing duties when Mike Mignola had uh, other commitments um, but he still wrote them but they had a very close uh, working relationship before he took over so mm. I think it's people who understand how that artist thinks or how that writer thinks or you know I think it helps if you have a basis I think it helps if you have something pre-existing that you can reference um, and I think very often for strong visual storytellers it's definitely cinema um, I think anyone who has a very strong sense of visual storytelling in comics has more than likely a very strong love of old cinema, more mm. maybe even more than new cinema. Um, for example, Gendy Taratowski is heavily influenced by Japanese samurai films and westerns. Mm. Um, Victor Santos is hugely inspired by the old pulp films of the 1940s and 50s. Um, and I know this because I've read the foreword to a bunch of stuff. But... I don't know who David Aha is inspired by, but Take I'd be willing. Call me. <laughs> do, 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 do. Gold. Um, but there are many examples of this. You were pointing one out to me earlier I've on. Been, I've been reading Catwoman recently. Yeah. And, you know, plot-wise, it's, it's not the most exciting of... I have to stop leaning away from the mic when I talk. That's it's okay. not the most exciting of plots. Mm. And... To be on, to be on, this is a terrible podcasting. Yeah, to be awful. honest, we all we all know that I'm buying it for the art, but w- the the art is really good. It's, it's yeah. Joel Jones. Yeah, that comic would not sell as well if it was another artist and that poor plot. Yeah, it's a really generic uh, bloody mob family doing a bad thing versus Catwoman figuring them out, but she's not really a good guy, yeah. but she doesn't want them to do that thing. But it's this fascinating thing where we laud the writer instead of the... But it's interesting that you say that because her... Is Joelle Johns a woman? Yes, she her, her fight scenes... Her, uh, there are very little dialogue in these comics. Yeah, I often go through them in a couple of minutes, but I'll go back and look again and go. That's because really it's cool how she did a punch in that guy's face. Because there's a rhythm built up through those issues, and I know this because you've given me a few of them. Mm-hmm. There's a rhythm built up in how those storytellings are done. Your eye flows. That's also the reason you finish it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Is your eye is naturally just following whatever the artist wants you to do, and you're running through it much quicker. It's a much more satisfying experience, and you will go back. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. 
because yes. the latest issue, it's it's suffering a little bit from um, replacement artist syndrome. Oh no! And the latest issue was drawn by Joelle Jones and Elena Bighouse, <laughs> and it's still fine. It's still good. I mean, it's one of those fill-in artists who very much aped the style of the original artist. They're yeah. not trying to put their own stamp on it. It doesn't suddenly look very different. Yeah, but. It, it harkens back to what you say said earlier. There's a move, Ben, in combat sports, mostly in Muay Thai, mm-hmm. where someone throws a kick at your ribs. Okay. Right? And you catch it with your, let's say, let's say they throw a left kick, and you catch it with your right arm. Mm-hmm. And then you slip up their leg a little bit and spin and elbow them. No, you've been reading my FetLife profile again. <laughs> I wrote your FetLife profile. Um, <laughs> I actually have a FetLife profile it's, now, it, do I? It's interesting. Yeah, you do. Oh. Uh, Irish Punisher. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, interestingly, <laughs> I think it's the first time in this run of seven issues of Catwoman where the individual stages of that move, so the, the catch, the mm. spin... And the beginning of the elbow, yeah, take place in a single panel with kind of outlines. Oh, they do the old they do the old school comic thing where it's a watercolored version of the character moving, right? Yeah, or see, like how they used to do in Transformers comics, how they would show a transformation in a single panel. He'd be a robot, exactly, then half a car, yeah, then three quarters a car, uh, then a car, but in a single panel. Yeah, but that that's the really awkward thing about the origin, the the early days of comic books. They didn't know how to capture great movement mm-hmm. in what they did, and what they assumed it was was oh well, we need to see that cycle. It's like a, a movement cycle, and every comic booker, every comic book fan knows what I'm talking about. Every it's, comic booker, every comic booker knows what I'm talking about. It's where you see that watercolored, lightly traced version of the character in the same frame moving around. Great visual storytellers don't need that. They pick their point and they so break it into that. panels. I I'm not against. It can be done very well. Again, coming back to Daredevil, one of the early proponents of that style, and it worked great. For Daredevil. Mm-hmm. It was very acrobatic and each move w- went through it. Interestingly, that's one of the big differences between Marvel and DC. DC often focused on the w- the style that I am talking about, whereas Marvel was a big fan of the watercolor does hero version. name? Uh, I'm sure it does. I don't know what uh, it is. We'll find it out for next week. That would have been a good one. But it, it falls back to animation. where y- You've heard me talk before about animating on ones, twos and threes, haven't you? No. Okay. Oh, yeah, no. Well, yeah, I've mentioned yeah. before. Into the Spider-Verse, which you mentioned earlier, is a great example of this. Some of the movements are very jerky. They're very vibrant. They have a lot of movement. It's because they're animating 3D animation on twos. So for every uh, for every single movement, two frames of animation are given. You should really, if you want the human eye to keep up, it should be six, seven, eight, nine. The higher you can get, the closer to fluid human movement but then you end up with The Hobbit. It, then you end up with The Hobbit where it's too real. Mm. It's too real, Roy. Get, it's get too it, real. Get it off uh, my screen. <laughs> yeah. But in animation, that just doesn't work. So how you compensate for that, especially in 2D animation, is you animate on twos and then you add motion blur mm-hmm. to what you do to mask the, the movement. They didn't shy away from this in Into the Spider-Verse and they used 3D animation, which would traditionally have a higher uh, frame per second count. Mm-hmm. And they used twos. 
So they would build the model and then they would animate it to us to give it this really vibrant, punchy thing. And it creates an amazing style. But as you said, final headachy. fight scenes can be like, oh, God. I felt oh. a bit headachy. Yeah, it, it can have that. Oops, sorry, hit the mic. Classic. But it can have that effect. Great visual storytellers understand that you don't need to include every single movement. Mm-hmm. And what can happen with that watercolor style of movement. It can, Where do you draw the line? It can get... Uh, <laughs> that's good that's what this episode is very oh that's oh excellent we need to write that down <laughs> but um what it actually means <laughs> i really enjoyed that um what i actually mean by that is um it can really slow down the reader's eye mm-hmm. because they're trying to follow each point and your brain will try and compute that whether you realize it or not and it won't do it. Whereas someone who understands that it's one, two, three, as opposed to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, mm-hmm. your eye will go, oh, yeah, your eye will fill in the gaps. It's it's similar to that theory on reading where all you need is the first letter of the word and the last letter of the word. And your brain kind of mm. fills in. I know it's not a golden rule, but some people think of it that way. Mm. Your brain can fill in the blanks a lot better than you think. Mm. Okay, sorry, I've, I've ruined the episode with pseudoscience. <laughs> mix, mixed pet peeve is pseudoscience. Let's wrap it up there, Ben. Yeah, fair enough. Do you have any favorite visual storytellers? Any favorite episodes of Samurai Jack? Any favorite? I like com- the one with the Scotsman. The oh, Scotsman is fantastic. Um, I can't. I also do- like the one with the archers in the tower. That's pretty. That's good amazing. Too. But that's a really good example of perfectly silent storytelling. I know. Oh, okay. That's what I said. Fair enough. (laughs) But moving on from there, do you have any visual storytellers that I missed out on? Some of the big recommendations um, that we got were David Mazzuchelli. He released um, uh, an Italian comic book uh, called... Oh, what's it called? It's here. Uh, As Aster... As As Baby. No, Michael. Astronomicon. Uh, no, I'm not gonna. I'm, I can't believe this. I lost it, but uh, we'll put it up in the link down below. You can you can take a look at each one. Um, if you have any that we missed, let mm-hmm. us know. We are as always on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We are on Reddit. Mm-hmm. We are on FetLife. <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, uh, give us a review on YouTube. iTunes. Yeah, let YouTube, us know. If any of the issues raised by Ben on Reddit have affected you in this episode, (laughs) there will be a hotline number at the end of the episode. That's it from us. Bye. Bye. -bye.